Hey, this is Dan Altman with the Smarter Scout podcast, The Why in Analytics. And today we're going to talk about metrics, starting with that most important question that comes directly from the title of this podcast, why are we measuring? Well, usually when we measure, we're trying to answer a question. For example, we want to see how good a defender some player is. But what does that actually mean? We need to go a little bit deeper. Is that raw ability that we're talking about? Is it conforming to a specific style of play that we like? Is it achieving some specific objective like winning? Or is the objective something else like making the crowd ooh and ah? We know there's a famous example of this, right? Because Paolo Maldini, the great Milan defender, used to say, if I have to make a tackle, I've made a mistake. But the last-ditch tackles really make the crowd go wild. So which is the objective that we're trying to reach? And then once we've really specified what the objective is, then we can say, okay, well, what are we measuring? Are we measuring a specific skill? Are we measuring some overall tendencies? Are we measuring values of actions in a mathematical model, which will help us to reach our objective? After we figured out what we really want to measure, then we ask, how should we measure it? And, you know, in all of these things, we're going to have some objectives about what we're doing, but we're also going to be facing some constraints too, right? The constraints come in, in the form of our data. What can we actually measure? You know, what can we infer about the measurements you know, without making too many assumptions? And what are the limits of the questions that we can answer uh, just from things that we can see? There may be things that are much harder to determine, intangibles, etc. So we need to consider all those things when we even make the most basic of metrics, right? Because even the most basic of metrics, just some number counting things that happen during a game, if you're not interpreting it correctly, then it's useless to you. Now, there are many implications of the how in measurement as well. What happens if we measure in a certain way? You know, do incentives change? For example, what if we're measuring a player's ability to get the ball upfield? Well, if the player knows that we're measuring that and that's how we're evaluating him or her, then the player's just going to say, okay, well, every time I get the ball, I'm going to hoof it up the field as far as I can, and then I'll perform really well on the metric and I'll make my bonuses or something like that. Well, that's not good for the team, so maybe that's not the metric we want to use. We also want to make sure that we can explain the metric easily so that, as we discussed in episode one, the people that we work with are going to trust us, right? Because if, if we can't explain the metric so that people understand it and trust it, then they're not going to use it, and then we might as well not have started at all. And finally, we really want to make sure that the metrics that we're using connect directly to some outcome, right? There's got to be something that we're trying to reach, that, that end goal that we have in mind, whether it's winning matches or entertaining people. We have to make sure that we can make a direct connection between our metric and that outcome. If there's no direct connection, then why are we measuring this thing, right? There, you know, what's, what's the point? It's not bringing us any closer to our goal. The most important thing, though, is know why the metric may show a relationship with that outcome. If you don't know, you might be looking at something spurious. There's a famous stat that's come out of the sports world, which was that every time the NFC, that's the National Football Conference, which is half of the NFL, the National Football League in the United States, every time an NFC team won the Super Bowl, the stock markets would go up. 
And people thought, well, is that causal, all right? Is, or is that just some spurious correlation? And you could maybe argue that there is something causal about it. Maybe if an NFC team comes out of New York and you know the, the NFC team wins the championship, then all the stock traders go onto Wall Street and they're very excited. But come on, most likely this is a spurious correlation, right? We could probably make the same correlation with the color of the tie that the Chelsea coach wears to the match. You know, if if it's if it's blue, they probably win. Things like that, right? So, you know, if you're making spurious correlations like that because you didn't know why that connection existed between your metric and the outcome, then your predictions won't be robust. You know, a prediction that might uh, or a correlation that might exist in one season won't exist in the next season because there was no real reason behind it in the first place. It's the same as flipping a coin. If it comes up heads five times in a row, that doesn't mean there's any more chance that it's going to be heads on the sixth toss. So we got to make sure that we avoid those types of things. And the way to avoid that is to have a theory in mind, some idea of why your metric is connected to the outcome. That's what's really most important. Now, how do we find out if that's the case? Well, there needs to be some clear dynamic that you can explain. You can say, my metric is connected to the outcome because when the player does this, it helps his team to do that, and that gets us closer to our goal. If you can't say that, then it's more likely that you're looking at something that's spurious or just an artifact of your data, right? Is there a correlation? that's just coming from some pattern in the data. I'll give you an, another example. You know, log wages fit points really well in a lot of soccer leagues, right? So the, the log of the total wage bill of the club is a good correlation with the points. But the reason why we have that correlation is because there are a lot of clubs at the top that pay huge wages, and there are a lot of clubs at the bottom that pay smaller wages. And you have sort of two clusters and maybe a couple of stragglers in between. But if you're trying to predict points within one of those clusters, log wages all of a sudden aren't such a great predictor. Okay, So if, when you look at the league level, it's just an artifact of your data, and you're not seeing a connection that's necessarily robust. So we want to make these robust connections. right? First of all, we want to have a reason why our metric is connected to the outcome, and then we have to be able to say what the dynamic is that actually makes that connection. That's protecting us from these potentially spurious correlations. All right. In this episode, we're going to start with the basics. We're not going to talk about all kinds of metrics. We're going to start with the most basic metric, which I'm going to call a frequency metric. Frequency metrics are usually counting. They're usually good for measuring a style of play or maybe individual tendencies of a player, but they don't measure the value of actions, nor do they take into account other players' actions or qualities you know, that might interact with the player that we're measuring. Right, So they, they can be counting stats, but sometimes they aren't just counting because they have a numerator always, and they can sometimes have a denominator too. You know, how many actions over what period or out of what total? And the numerator and the denominator, as you could probably guess if you have any inclination in mathematics, are equally important here. Usually it's easier to define the numerator than the denominator, right? So let's give an example, okay? Let's talk about tackles since we started with that. A player has tried to take the ball from another player using his or her body. That's usually how it works. But even here, we could imagine a couple different situations, right? We want to be specific with our numerator so we know exactly what we're talking about. So in one situation, there might be a player who is just standing over the ball, but in another situation, the player's actively challenging a defender by dribbling. In each 
case the defender has the opportunity to tackle. Do we care about the distinction? I mean, it really comes down again to our objective and our constraints. You know, what is it that we're really trying to measure? So even the numerator, there could be some discussion. The denominator, well, we can imagine a whole spectrum of, of precision when it comes to the denominator. And this is where things start to get into the nitty gritty. For example, we often see a measure of tackles per season. Go on the Premier League website, you'll see tackles, and it's on a per-season basis. And the leader is Ricardo Pereira, at least in the data that we collect in Smarter Scout. Ricardo Pereira is the leader in tackles for this season, 2019 to 2020, in the Premier League. Okay, great fullback, plays for Leicester, very active in defending. But what does that really tell us? Okay, he has the most tackles in the Premier League. Is it because he's played the most games? Is it because he's the most aggressive tackler? Is it because he's the most successful tackler? All of these things are different distinctions. So let's see what happens if we slice things a little bit differently. First of all, let's look at it per game because that's what some people do. They say tackles per game. Well, let's say, okay, now that we're looking at a rate, we need to set a minimum number of tackles or games. Let's say 50 tackles. So who is the player who has the most tackles per game out of all the players who have at least 50 tackles? And the answer to that question is not Ricardo Pereira, it's Fred at Manchester United with 6.7 tackles per game. In this measure, Pereira is actually third out of 171 tackles, uh, sorry, 171 players who have at least 50 tackles in our data. Now, the problem with games is not everybody plays the same number of minutes in the game. What if you appear as a substitute, right? So let's look at it on some slightly more objective metric or more specific metric and look at it per 90 minutes played. We'll do the same minimum. You need at least 50 tackles to be in our sample. Okay, so among players with at least 50 tackles, the one who has the most per 90 minutes played is Tom Tribal. Okay, Tom Tribal and Pereira is 12th. Well, Pereira's dropped quite a bit in our rankings, and Tribal's on top. Okay, great. But again, this is not perfect because you can't tackle, or at least you're unlikely to tackle, if your team is in possession. So teams that have a lot of possession, like Manchester City, they might not have the leading tacklers because they just don't need to tackle very often. Well, how do we fix that? Well, we actually want to look at tackles per minute out of possession. So we'll use the same minimum, again, players with at least 50 tackles, who has the most tackles per minute out of possession when their team does not have the ball? And the answer to that is Giovanni Lo Celso, okay? And Pereira is 10th. So we started with Ricardo Pereira, and yeah, okay, the guy's got so many tackles that no matter how you slice it, he's going to be amongst the leaders, but he's not necessarily the one who is the most active tackler, because that's what we're really getting at here is how active a tackler the player is. This isn't about the quality. This isn't about the value of the outcomes. This is just, does he do it a lot per minute out of possession when he actually has the opportunity to tackle? Well, the thing is, that sounds pretty good, but it's not the same as the tendency to tackle. That's actually different, right? Because that means per defending opportunity, how likely is it that this guy is gonna tackle rather than do something else. Well, we have a very complicated algorithm for trying to estimate which player is the relevant defender on each attacking action. So we try and figure out which player has the opportunity to defend using event data. You know, even using tracking data, it's not always easy to figure out just 
using numbers, who is the most relevant defender. And so we validate this with video to try and make sure that our algorithm is picking the right one. And most of the time it does. Not perfect, but enough to get a good signal from all that noise. So who has the biggest tendency to tackle? Now we want to see who has the highest rate of tackling per defending opportunity. So for each chance they have to defend, who is the most active tackler? And again, we'll do the same minimum, 50 tackles minimum per season. And in this case, again, Tom Tribal comes out on top. He is the most likely to tackle per defending opportunity. And Pereira is all the way down at 47th now. So Pereira is a very aggressive defender. He often has opportunities to defend. And he's not actually the one who has the greatest tendency to tackle. Now, to do an even better job identifying this tendency, we might actually want to control for some sort of baseline likelihood of tackling in a specific situation and location. Right? Maybe Tribal just finds himself in situations a lot where he has to tackle. And it's not about him, it's more about how the rest of his team is playing and what situation he's in. But for that, as I said, we want to set some baseline and then try and see whether the players we're looking at have some excess above or below that where they're showing that extra tendency to tackle. But that's a much more complicated thing, right? We started out just with numerators and denominators, and all of a sudden now, you know, we're running regressions. So we really need to make sure that we have a good understanding of the question that we're trying to answer, make it as specific as possible, and then try and answer that. Now, the one we might really be interested in is success as a tackler, right? How good a tackler is he? Well, if we do it per attempt, Right? So again, the same minimum, at least 50 successful tackles, but we want to look at the rate of successful tackle per tackle attempted. Now the winner is Christoph Zimmermann with an 83% success rate. That's quite impressive. And Pereira's again 47th by coincidence at 68%. Okay, so Pereira, very active tackler, but not necessarily the most successful tackler per attempt. Imagine, Zimmermann came to Norwich on a free from Dortmund back in 2017. You don't hear his name very often. But the thing is, even if we look at that success rate per tackling attempt, it doesn't say anything about the situations. It doesn't say anything about the quality of the attacking players that he faced and the eventual outcomes. You know, was it a good thing that he was such a good tackler? Or was he tackling generally in situations that were bad and the, the tackles that he missed were extremely costly? So these things are all going to go into our calculation. And in fact, to answer some of these questions about you know, the quality of the attacking players and the outcomes, we need to do something very different. This is something we'll discuss later on in this series, you know, where we're actually evaluating the tacklers and the attacking players at the same time so we get an overall feeling of who's good and who's bad on either side of a duel on the ground. And when we do that, we find out that Bernardo Silva and Aaron Wan-Bissaka may be even better tacklers than Zimmerman. And in fact, Zimmerman ranks about sixth among active Premier League players when we try to adjust for all those aspects of quality and situation. So you can get pretty complex pretty quickly, but it's interesting that as we started to change our answers to this question, that name Ricardo Pereira kind of fell aside and we started talking about other players. Now, overall, Frequency metrics are much better for quantifying style and involvement than measuring effectiveness. And style and involvement are important, right? We know teams have very different styles. They like to bring in players who can slot into those styles pretty easily. And that's why on Smarter Scout, we measure style across eight dimensions of frequency metrics. And when we look for similar players, we're matching them by those eight dimensional uh, aspects of style. So 
it is still an important thing. We shouldn't throw frequency metrics in the trash because they are so easy to, to, to mess around with. You know, just make sure that you really specify your numerators and denominators very carefully and you can still get something valuable. Now, there is a, a trap in a sense that you can fall into, which is that you can put too much importance on something that maybe is not that important for your outcome. There's a famous example from uh, Simon Cooper, who I think was the first one to tell the story about uh, Yapstam uh, and Alex Ferguson back in 2001. You know, Yapstam was a very good Dutch defender, uh, and he played for Manchester United for Ferguson, but Ferguson got rid of him eventually because he saw that uh, Stam wasn't making many tackles at all. And the problem was that tackles were not necessarily connected to the outcome that Ferguson cared about. He thought they were, but they weren't necessarily. Stam was such a good defender, he was able to do a lot with positioning. It's the same way that Maldini was talking about, where, where making a tackle was, was probably a bad outcome for him. So you, know, you just got to make sure that you understand these frequency metrics for what they are. There's an additional problem, which is that these frequency metrics can sort of be contaminated by team style. So we have to ask ourselves, would a player have different tendencies under a different coach? Or is the player at a club precisely because his individual style or her style fits the team style? So, you know, is there a player on one club who could go and play at another club and adapt better or worse depending on the style. An example that comes to mind is Jack Cork who played for Swansea City for many years and, and he was a player who was playing in a style that emphasized passing for a long time and then he went to play for Burnley which was a club that had a much more direct style uh, and that transfer was viewed as quite a success for him. Now it may just be that as a player his abilities and tendencies fit better with what Burnley wanted to do than with what Swansea wanted to do. But you know, the question is really, you know, are, are there mismatches and misfits out there that you can take advantage of? It's hard to say, right? Because it looks like the player style is coming from the team style. And we, we want to see if we can find ways to control for that as well. So putting all that to one side for a second, if you hear that a player leads the league in tackles, as we found out about Ricardo Pereira, what does it really tell you? You know, I think we have more questions than answers in that case. You know, did he play a lot of matches? Did he play for a club that was always on the back foot, always defending? Did he get his positioning wrong a lot? You know, was, was it the fact that he was making mistakes? Did he just like to get stuck into a play? Or was he actually a very good tackler? All those things are very different questions, but they're good questions to ask, right? The data are helping to ask the right questions, and we need to use other tools like video to answer them. But at least now we know what to ask, okay? So, so that's a basic sort of rundown of the pitfalls and opportunities from frequency metrics. I still think they are important, but you really have to be careful in how you use them, and you have to make sure that they're well specified. Next time we get together, we're going to be talking about some of the mathematical models, which can start to assign values to different actions. And that's a whole other kettle of fish, all right? So we're going to move away from tendencies, and now we're going to be looking at the value of actions and really how they contribute to those outcomes. And that's something that maybe Ferguson could have paid a little more attention to back in 2001 when he let Yapstam go. Anyway, thanks again for joining us. Hope you guys are enjoying the series. Listen again for mathematical models, and take care. <laughs>